Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast with Amy Wheeler. We're a global community of yoga therapists and related professionals who are sharing our knowledge and experience with one another to make the world a better place for all of us to thrive. On this podcast, we have deep and thought-provoking conversations that we hope will nourish you and make you feel more connected to yourself and to others. Feel free to continue these conversations on our private Facebook group called Yoga Therapy Hour Podcast with Amy Wheeler. And listen at the end of the podcast each week as we'll be giving away a special gift. Remember, we have a mobile app coming out May 2nd, 2022 that tracks mental health and so much more using the foundations of yoga and Ayurveda. Welcome, and today our guest is Nritya Jagannatham from the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram in Chennai, India, which happens to be the tradition that I've been studying in since the year 2000. And I feel like I've, I've grown up in this tradition. I've visited the KYM seven different times, and you know, some of the things that Narithya and I talk about in this episode are the bird model, which many of us know as the Panchamaya model, the five layers of the human system. And in yoga therapy, we use the physical, the breath or the prana, the mental, the personality or life experience, and then the, the deeper possibly even spiritual layers, the anandamaya, the joy layer. We use these in both assessment, but also in terms of therapeutic planning. And so we go into quite a bit of detail in this episode about the bird model, but then specifically, you know, I, I'm very interested in why is it that Sir Deskachar was so just passionate about the Vijnanamaya layer and, and oftentimes said things like, if your relationships aren't working out, your yoga isn't working out, re- meaning that your relationships will be better if you're doing an appropriate yoga practice, right? The heart of yoga. And so Narithya and I talk so much about just the personality layer and, and how important that is as a yoga therapist, to come with the gentleness, the sweetness, the friendliness, to make our clients feel good and happy and seen and heard, and that that in and of itself is a big part of the healing. And, you know, when I first met Sir back in the very, very early 2000s, I'm going to show you a picture of him for those of you that can see the website that I've just pulled up, which is kym.org. I remember thinking how unassuming he was, how humble he was. I actually saw him running across the street between cars and traffic in his uh, green collared shirt, which he oftentimes wore, a light green shirt and a long dhoti. And when I saw him running through the traffic and, you know, very light on his feet, I was very surprised when I went into the classroom and there he was on stage. And I thought, oh, that's the, that's the gentleman that I just saw running through the traffic. 
And then when he got on stage, he was so sweet and so friendly and so kind and gentle. And I just thought that's the kind of person I want to study with, right? So from the very, very beginning, that Vijnana Maya layer is what called to me. And it's actually what's kept me with the teachers at the KYM for 20 years now, more than 20 years, because I see that. I see that they are living their yoga, right? The teacher who gives me all of my practices now, my personal practices, who we'll talk to next week on the podcast. Her name is Gita Shankar. She studied under Deskachar for decades. And I have a picture of her up here too on the, the website. But I look forward to our meetings because I feel so good and so happy each and every time that I spend an hour with her, which is a couple of times a month. And that sweetness just carries me through the rest of my week. So I don't think we can underestimate the personality layer, the Vijnanamaya layer. And we talk a lot about that. And then we also get into pranayama and what it is that Sir and Krishnamacharya brought to yoga therapy around pranayama expressing itself in so many different ways that really is very, very unique to the tradition and therefore has become kind of a hallmark for yoga therapy in general. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I really love listening to Nerithya and I think you'll see her brilliance. So enjoy. Welcome, Nerithya. We're so happy to have you here to talk about the bird model. And would you mind if we started with a prayer together today? Certainly. Yogena chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chavaityakena शंखचक्रासितारिणम् सहस्रशिरसं श्वेतम् ಪ್ರಣಮಾಮಿಪತಂಜಲಿಂಶ್ರೀಮತೆಯತೀಶ್ವರಾಪ್ಯಾಂಪ್ರಾಪ್ತಚಕ್ರಾಂಕಣಸ
कृष्णसूरीदया पात्र ज्ञानवैराग्यभूषण श्रीमत्कटनाथार्य वंदेहम योगदेशिक Thank you for Nrithya and I think you know not all of our listeners are from the Krishnamacharya tradition which you are just chanting to both Krishnamacharya and also the new chant for Deskachar TKV Deskachar Can you just give us a very brief um summary of of why that's important to start in an auspicious way being humble to a teacher could you just give us a brief summary before we get into the bird model because i think our listeners may not even understand the importance of that see the thing with the um, an invocation usually at the commencement of anything is customary whatever the action is uh, the intention setting being that let this go well let there be nothing that comes in the way as a hindrance now conventionally this is offered to ganesha as the remover of obstacles the one who sets things in motion but when it comes to teaching specifically when one represents a lineage a teaching lineage we call it a parampara then we stand in front of the student not in any individual capacity but as a representative of a tradition that has survived a very long time and it is a matter of connection primarily in many ways that that invocation specifically the ones we do in the tradition of kevan the first is a chant addressed to patanjali whose yoga sutra till today remains undisputed with regard to the single most important text on yoga that every student teacher and i would say pretty much everyone must study even if one doesn't practice yoga for the insights it brings about the mind and therefore patanjali and then krishnamacharya the acharya who brings this teaching to us followed by desikachar and so literally there is this idea that you know where we stand we are standing on the steps that have been created by the teachers of the past if they hadn't given us those steps because of their knowledge then where would we stand we have no wherewithal to stand with any sort of authority and so the purpose of the chant is first of all to connect to offer gratitude and to seek the support of the guru parampara or the jnana parampara the lineage of knowledge that stands behind us at the same time the purpose of the chant is also to bring in an attitude of arrogance in, especially when it comes to disciplines like yoga there can be the germ of arrogance also i know so much or i've been doing so much and in that moment where we connect to the teachers who came before is an acknowledgement that i am one more link on a longer chain therefore let me approach this with humility with a certain responsibility because i cannot in any fashion behave in a manner that will bring, bring disrepute to the lineage more than anything and so with that commitment one takes the next step this is the primary reason behind the chanting and invocation especially to the teachers 
Thank you for, for telling us that, you know, I think people have a lot of different ideas about what that means. Am I giving away my sovereignty? Am I, you know, kind of a drone that's just going to be in a cult. And I just want people to understand that it it's an act, as you said, of connection, of humility, of understanding that it's not about me. It's about the teachings yes. coming through. And also see, I think what truly great teachers is that there is no curtailing of another's ability to communicate or teach. I think across the world, we have so many who are taught by Deshkachar or who are direct students of Krishnamacharya. They're definitely not clones of each mm-hmm. other. They have very, very unique teaching styles. And that is natural. A good teacher will encourage them. But then it is the job of a good student to also bring honor to the teacher, to the tradition. Right. And so that responsibility flows both ways. Well, and next week, we're going to be talking to Geeta Shankar about the teacher-student relationships. So uh-huh. we'll, we'll get a, a lot more on that. But let's get into our topic of the day, which I'm so thrilled that you agreed to come and talk about uh, what we call the BERT model, but what most people call the Panchamaya model, yes. the, the five layers um, from the Taittiriya Upanishads. So You know, the first thing I want to ask you is how did this become such a popular model for yoga therapy? Because it's, it's from the Upanishads. It isn't specific to yoga therapy yet. It seems that we've all decided we're going to use it for assessment. We're going to use it for therapeutic planning. You know, we're going to take this model and really make it one of the primary fundamental principles for yoga therapy. How do you think that happened? See, very honestly, I don't know. I mean, there are references. You see references in Puranas to how certain aspects of yoga can be adapted for therapeutic purposes. That's very clear. In fact, when it comes to pranayama, you have these references. But specifically, yoga chikitsa such as a discipline seems to have evolved over time. Krishnamacharya is one of the pioneers. Now, when you come to the model per se, yes, Panchamaya, also known as Panchamaya Kosha, Panchakosha model, is presented primarily as an Upanishadic model to to counter the the notion that uh, I am the body. Primarily that because this is the uh, uh, thrust area of the Upanishads is to realize one's nature, which is not of the material world. It is that which is not Prakriti, by coming up with this multidimensional structure of the human entity, body, breath, mind, a deeper, more reflective intellectual capacity that determines your personality and your core nature. What the model per se tries to do is to say that this is Brahman. Yes, my body, the body that I have been given is an aspect of Brahman, but it is not equal to Brahman. The Brahman is not only the body, it is the body, but it is more. In this manner, in a way of using the what we call a prakriya, it's basically a counter thought that is uh, generated to help us understand another thought. And so little by little, that identification, first you look, you look at everything with value. So yes, 
this body is special it serves the needs of uh, me realizing my true nature but this body is not entirely equal to brahman there is something more in this manner we are led layer by layer till the anandamaya which is our innermost uh, dimension closest to the purusha through this process you realize that within these five dimensions is that which is imperishable satyam jnanam anantam that which is eternally true that which is eternally the nature of knowledge that which is infinite where is this that is inside now this is the approach but when it comes to application i must say in my understanding i have not seen it personally used in any other tradition outside the kvai to the extent that we do in most yoga training definitely there is some little uh, emphasis on the pancham maya very broadly this is how i have seen it even in uh, many of the reference materials for the currently the courses that are being run you have the yoga training course yoga wellness course yoga wellness instructor yoga therapist course a number of courses that are being announced under the ayush ministry they touch very very broadly on the panchamaya speaking of five dimensions however i have not seen in that syllabus depth with regard to what is the component of each of those dimensions which is where the birds come into significance and it's mind blowing the connections that are there between each dimension through the bird model is something that has always blown my mind and uh, we have seen that discussed in great detail by sir deskachar in this tradition and when exactly i wouldn't i don't think i know when exactly it started being adapted but the fact remains it is one of the most useful models when you superimpose it on the heyam hetu hanam upayam model of the yoga sutra when you look at these two together they offer us a very solid very very reliable method of identification of a problem identification of where which dimension which aspect of the body or the mind or the senses is affected or how the interactions are playing out which layer is impacting the other how is the return what is the communication that feedback loop all of this becomes much more easier for us to comprehend and so as a diagnostic and a problem solving model i think it's very holistic it doesn't it doesn't put anybody into boxes we are not expected you know that if this problem happens in the annamaya then this is the effect on the pranamaya or this is the effect on the vijnanamaya you cannot bring it to a conclusion it gives you so much scope for variety of application how different people with the same issues how the issue can come from a different dimension how their effect because of that problem can happen from different dimensions and because of that multiplicity of tools simply we have such an array of tools now we don't all have to use the same tools for the same problem seemingly same problem back pain you can say is generic low back pain is a very common condition but this is not like you have a pill and you say okay you have back pain let me give you this prescription here we have to evaluate why back pain where is it coming from is it an annamaya problem is it a pranamaya problem or is it even deeper is it an anandamaya problem accordingly the tools that we are going to use will change and i think that is the reason why sir has made this a major part of our approach 
And I would say that while I think all of us as yoga therapists do study the model in detail, in terms of our actual work, I think there is some level of integration where it's not like we are holding the model in front of us and saying, okay, this is it and then uh, this is how you match. I think it's a process that is so deeply ingrained that it is almost intuitive and happens mm-hmm. spontaneously for us to be able to see that, okay, this is where the problem is. Let me try to address it uh, using an Anandamaya tool or a Vijnanamaya tool and see where it goes. So at some level, I think with practice, it becomes so very intuitive and instinctive. That is how it applies. Yeah, I can see that at first when you're learning to become a yoga therapist, it's really helpful to have, okay, what are the symptoms on each of these five layers? What might be the causes? It gives your brain something to lock down onto. But as you go along, we can't get stuck on the model then, right? Then yes, we let go yes. of the model. And as you said, it's it's kind of an intuitive flow yes. that happens. That's true of any model because mm-hmm. um, after a point, you will have to rely on your deepest instinct. And a sir has always told us, how do you develop that? It is through your practice. Mm. You have to be rooted in your personal practice. When you are, then automatically there is a part of you that will connect. And you know, you somehow just know what is appropriate for that student in that context. The same may not hold good for another student, which means again, you revisit the model differently. But then the model is a support. Yep. It's not your preliminary focus because your primary point of information is your student itself. Then that is what you're meditating on is your student, your object. Yeah. You know, I had this really interesting experience today. I was doing a meditation with Sridhar on today and we were doing all sorts of mudras and hand gestures. And I really in, inside understood Pratyahara that by bringing my hands close to my heart and my throat and my forehead and the top of my head, I really understood Pratyahara in that moment in a different way than I had before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're talking about is your yes. personal practice helps you to understand it kinesthetically or experientially. And now mudras will never be the same. Uh-huh. Yeah. So could we, you know, I think so many people are really understand, okay, there's these five layers, but when I took a course with you recently, and I'll just put this up here briefly, you, you went through you know, what's happening in the right wing of the bird, what's happening in the left wing of the bird, what's happening in the head, in the tail, in the core of the bird for each of the five layers. And we're not going to do all of that tonight, but I think what a lot of people don't even understand is that at each one of those layers, say the, the physical layer, the Anamaya, there's five parts to the Anamaya and there's five parts to the Pranamaya and there's five parts to the Manomaya. So, could you, I don't want to go through every single part, but could you just help people to understand that there are five parts to every one of the five layers? Because yes. I think many people don't even realize that. Yes, I think this is very important, uh, which is why I said the model is a very precious one. Uh, it is presented in the form of a bird. Now, why a bird? At the outset, that is the question. 
you know why the bird when you think about it there is no overt answer when you look at the upanishad it it is very matter of fact it says this is like a bird and what kind of a bird it has a head it has a torso it has two wings and a tail because these are the components that help the bird fly now why the bird is something that we can reflect about uh, perhaps as a motive of freedom of liberation of not being bound perhaps the bird is a creature that caught the fancy of that rishi of who has given us this upanishad and that developed into a, a a discussion of the body in these terms because we are also very much bird like given our uh, uh, you know if you trace evolution it is not very difficult to envision the hands as wings and both the legs coming together as the tail end and then you have the head and the torso now here when you look at the components the head sets direction so pradhanyam we say that which is the uh, which is primary which is setting direction is the head what defines a bird is flight its ability to move how does it move it moves using the wings so the wings are the next two components both equally important right and left then you have the torso that's holding this together you have the body because this is not a disjoint bird it's a very beautifully coordinated uh, creature that flies that is able to soar and so there is the torso that holds all this that gives information receives information acts as a a uh, possible point of communication and you have the tail because the tail although we understand flight from the perspective of the bird using its wings it is the tail that lends it the ability to navigate to turn and to navigate speed to navigate its landing its uh, take off all of this depends on the tail so equally important now when it comes to the model and uh, how it is presented is literally five birds one inside the other and every maya uh, or every one of these dimensions has a head two wings body and tail when you look at the annamaya it's a very straightforward model it just says this is it this first understand that you are out of form this is the gross skeletal form all the bodily components there are the head there are the two sides you have the center and you have the lower part you can equate this to being a tail it's when you come to the pranamaya that the each part is named and you have to go deeper into the commentaries to understand the interrelationship between these parts so in the pranamaya you have the pancha prana primarily you have prana as the head vyana and apana other wings what is the torso in the upanishad is presented as akasha it represents samana and prithvi is the tail earth is the tail but it represents udana now specifically there you see the difference in terminology because they indicate a certain functionality uh, samana holds space for the other three primary functions prana apana vyana to proceed because these are essential life giving functions the tail is udana because the udana vayu has a very unique connection to the earth by way of karma it is the vayu that is responsible for keeping the atma within for the duration of one's lifespan and that lifespan is completed then it is udana that activates and allows prana to leave therefore associated with prithvi you could say that if annamaya is the outer layer pranamaya is extremely important as interface
between body and mind because the signals from the mind to body body to mind cannot happen without the role played by pranamaya from a therapeutic perspective also extremely vital because this is the domain where we can actually make a lot of difference we have a lot of strategies many tools that can address the pranamaya through the pranamaya we can address annamaya and you can address manomaya vigyanamaya anandamaya so very strategically located there then the third area is third dimension is the manomaya which in the model has as its four components the head the two wings and the tail are the four vedas and the center is adesha adesha you could say very broadly instructions uh, in the context of the birds itself it is the instructions from the brahmana portion of the vedas which speak about ritual performance now why the vedas there because it is an upanishadic model but what do they represent they represent the mental capacity for receiving processing holding various kinds of input this input is coming from the senses and this is your base your knowledge base for us to function to perform any task in the world so the study and the task orientation in a sense you could say learning learning from different sources but remember learning coming through the senses and then its application in terms of a targeted activity where there is a defined beginning middle end there is a goal so doing it is part of the manomaya when it comes to the vijnanamaya the vijnanamaya is deeper it is not merely cognition it is cognition it is internalization processing and reflection and also you could say this is the dimension where one's true personality emerges in many ways you can say that vijnana literally means a special knowledge what is the special knowledge it is born of our experiences how we interpret a situation how we respond to a situation depends not on how you are receiving the input it depends on how you are processing it within but how a person processes it is very different from how b c or d might because their vasanas are different their samskaras are different their personal emotional professional various other backgrounds are likely to be different which is why in the vijnanamaya the head is shraddha why shraddha because the tail is mahat mahat is you could say the sum total of all the knowledge that has been acquired and that knowledge is stored in the form of vasanas samskaras smritis and here you could understand mahat also as the cosmic mahat from the sankhyan model of evolution literally the totality of all lived experiences stored deep within as a form of knowledge that needs to be acted upon these are our subliminal impressions now these can be of different kinds there can be certain positive and negative vasanas now what of those vasanas are going to surface how am i going to you know let the vasanas guide my choices in the present for all of this that one requires shraddha and that ability to choose wisely to choose with sincerity to not waver from clarity this is why shraddha is the head mahat is the tail the wings are ritam and satyam ritam is our ability to understand truth as is 
an unadulterated, unvarnished, eternal truth. That is Ritam. It doesn't change. You could say it is the truth of the cosmos itself. Satyam is how I am able to communicate that truth. I have understood that truth in some way. My ability to communicate that truth appropriately, but it is in alignment with Ritam. It is not a separate truth. It is not a fabrication. It is true, but communicated through the lens of my personality. So Ritam and Satyam become the wings and Yoga Atma here. Yoga represents that capacity for contemplative reflection, Dhyanam. And the outcome of Dhyanam is the clarity, insight and clarity that comes through the experience, becomes the crux of the bird. So it is a deeper aspect and this shows multiple shades of our personality and how we are likely to respond to different triggers. Deeper still is the Anandamaya, which you could say is our innermost nature. This is our, uh, the closest to the Purusha, the self that is within. The word Ananda itself means delight. Everything in this world is for delight. The, the wings here, in fact, when you come to the terminology, they're very close. The head is Priyam. The wings are Moda and Pramoda. The Atma is Ananda. And the tail is Brahman. Now, Priyam, Modam, Pramodam are nothing but degrees of joy. Progressively aggregating degrees of joy. When something that, that really pleases you, the thought of that, as it comes closer, how your joy grows. And when there is a total merging with what has given you that feeling of joy, even more delight. But what holds this experience together is Ananda. Ananda is delight, unalloyed delight. The tale is Brahman. Where are all these experiences coming from? They are coming because of the presence of the Brahman in the Atma within us. Now, Anandamaya is very important from a therapy perspective because it marks our true nature, the closest aspect of the mind to the truest nature, which is Sattva, the state of Sattva dominance. But when the Sattva is shaken, when we suffer, it is the Anandamaya that is deeply affected. And that is where trauma also sits. Trauma, the source of trauma sits deep in the Anandamaya. It manifests in the Vijnanamaya through samskaras, through various patterns, protective mechanisms and so on. Working at the Anandamaya level is not easy. It's very difficult because we build up walls of protection. And also you see that uh, this is where we retreat to. In times of great distress, we try to find that safe space that is within us. Very often we see that when people undergo trauma of some kind or you're reliving trauma, there is a tendency to return to a fetal-like position, curled up. Why? Because somewhere intuitively you feel that that only safe zone is within, it's not outside. So there is a necessity to move inwards, which is the Anandamaya. But this is at its negative end when you speak of trauma. The extreme other end of the spectrum is simply delight. There is delight in everything. There's delight in waking up, delight in eating, delight in talking, sleeping. There's nothing that is to be rejected because these are all experiences of ananda. But that is the state of mind of a yogi, of someone who has learned that Sukham and Dukham are part of life. They are going to be here. What can you do? You can endure. You can endure, you can go through this, but you can anchor yourself in a state of sattva or a state of ananda. 
to come there is very difficult but then it acts as a guideline for can i look there for for little places little points where you can penetrate into the anandamaya and see if some measure of solace can be given now when you see that there is so much of complexity in the structure of the five dimensions immediately your your attention is called also to the multiplicity of tools so we know that in asana you can use uh, in anandamaya asana becomes an immediate tool and the variety of ways in which we use asana pranayama is the tool for the pranamaya because in pranayama we are relying on the breath when it comes to the manomaya remember it is cognitive and therefore a tool such as chanting nyasam can do a lot to bring attention to fix your attention and for us to be very task oriented with a lot of clarity and precision when it comes to vijnanamaya the tools are more emotional in nature more of bhavana more exploring of feeling reflection which is why bhavana japa certain forms of meditative practices will help that the anandamaya level it is about relationship and because this is where our core is deeply affected we are uh, by nature we crave this relationship that is human but where there are relationships that we feel betrayed or that we feel let down or that we feel abused or we feel unsafe in then these are the areas where these are potential triggers for great dukkha and so cultivating the right kind of relationship and also certain other uh, supporting tools such as pilgrimage pilgrimage to places where you know you can seek solace in the presence of other travelers and so on or any such other uh, tool in fact uh, sir was quite a genius in being able to identify what it is that would help a person what would help a person stay in touch with that anandamaya component and come up with uh, very very unconventional uh, practices very beautifully designed very simple ones that were in the presence of nature or by the sea things like this that will help you to connect to that space of quietness which is what we have to do as far as anandamaya is concerned so when you look at the birds is when you realize how complex they are and also it's not that they are not separate what happens in the pranamaya will affect the vijnanamaya what happens in the anandamaya will affect the annamaya and so they are constantly there is this back and forth that's happening which if you are very cognizant with that model you can instantly identify in your uh, care seeker so that's uh-huh. the uh, reason for this uh, using the model in our work beautiful review and i do think you'll probably be teaching that I think it was an 8 week course that you did for us. You'll be teaching that again soon. So maybe at the end you can can tell us because I'm sure when people hear this they're going to want to go deeply into each each of the birds and each part of each layers. But I would also like to talk about Deskachar's interpretation of the bird model which some people say is a little bit different than maybe a classical interpretation of uh the 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 bird model and and that is that you know he, he seemed very interested in the vijnanamaya kind of personality layer and that you know was famous for saying if if your yoga is working your relationships will be better you'll your personality will smooth out a bit can you talk a little bit about that 
See, from what I have studied, I don't think Sir's interpretation is going in any way against classical commentaries. When we say classical commentaries, we must remember that the Panchamaya model per se is not a yogic model. It is an Upanishadic model and its purpose is very different. In its Upanishadic context, it serves a very different purpose. However, it is adapted for use as a model for yoga therapy. So naturally, in terms of how you are interpreting it. Also, we must remember that Sir was a very unique teacher who believed in presenting classical teachings in a manner that would be most appropriate, most comprehensible to the present day listener. It doesn't mean that he diluted or altered the teachings in any way. But he interpreted them in a manner that is more, you know, it is ready for us to receive, uh, or more suited for us. So in that sense, if you are comparing with, say, a Shankara's commentary or a Shaina's commentary, then Sir's interpretation might seem a little simple, but there is no clash at all. He goes into everything, he gives us the same ideas. But we must remember the context. It is taken out of its Upanishadic context. And the idea is applied in the context of yoga therapy. So therein lies the difference. But yes, as you say, a lot of what Sir taught us with regard to therapy, because see, the certain tools are very obvious. Annamaya, Pranamaya, to, to a large extent, we know the tools that are at our disposal, asana, pranayama, and so on. But very often, when we are working with our care seekers, the trouble... The, the illnesses or the problems that they come from come with are not on one dimension. They are very often very complex, multi-layered issues, multiple issues and multiple causes. So we are not dealing in most cases, it's never just a back pain or just diabetes. It is always back pain with something else, possibly hypertension, lot of stress, sleeplessness, obesity, and there is no way to judge how things are going to mix up in the care seeker. Which is why that Vijnana Maya aspect and the Ananda Maya was what Sir emphasized a lot. And he said, first try to build up a solid relationship with the person. Yes, sometimes it's hard because people build up walls. We build up barriers as defense. And it's very hard to penetrate. In which case we can work at a peripheral level. You work with asana. You work with pranayam. Little by little, certain things will start to move. And you get little glimpses of personality, of something that a person wants to do, something that they seem very animated about. When you open a top topic, they seem very engaged. Now that becomes a cue. And use that to open another window and see if now that can be something that will help someone access an aspect of their personality that they're actually appreciative of. And he would always do this, try to make the person feel good. Because usually someone who's coming for yoga therapy support, uh, many people may not be in a very good frame of mind. There is a tendency for putting oneself down to be very vulnerable emotionally, sometimes depression also. Increasingly, we see a lot of depression, a lot of anguish. And so, Sir, we have seen him in action several times. We were lucky to observe him when he was consulting. He would open a very free, general conversation 
no pressure at all it would be very casually done and very gently he'll narrow at something that that person is exceptionally good at or takes delight in it could be cooking it could be drawing it could be singing and then he would say why don't you sing this song for me or why don't you draw this set show me and then he would say see how beautiful this is what a remarkable piece of work or what a lovely voice instantly that way of setting people at ease because the moment you are at ease literally the whole system is responding vyutthana nirodha samskarayo abhibhava pradurbhavo nirodakshana chittanvayo nirodha parinama says chapter 3 of the yoga sutra that moment where that relaxation sets in the mind the whole system will respond and that becomes a very conducive state because then the person is that much more amenable for any intervention and so if somehow we can target the change in uh, the emotional outlook in their feeling about themselves because this is the vijnanamaya and from there we can access the anandamaya then we can make greater inroads rather than a clinical you know i don't really care what happens to you you're a, you know care seeker i'm a therapist and you know i'm i'm this is my time 50 minutes is up okay get up i'll see you next week now that doesn't happen as far as the k1 is concerned because i know several of my colleagues we sometimes teach for 2 hours at a time for the simple reason that uh, the, the student is not yet ready we've just managed to get uh, you know some to hold there and we don't want to jar that and so we never at any point of time have we said okay time up i'll see you next class that what happen because then it will undo everything that you tried to do in the, uh, to begin with and so i think somewhere we've also inherited that approach in terms of how we explore and slowly deepen the relationship with the student and in that the teacher's personality makes a big difference that that shraddha is also of the teacher my conviction in what i'm saying my conviction in my practice my ability to stand as a representative of what i am speaking about i think that also makes a big difference all of this will come together in creating that anandamaya link this i've seen with many students who have come to see sir i have seen it myself that uh, this one morning sir came into the mandiram any of us were there i think he was coming in for a class and one of his old students was waiting in the front uh, office and uh, so he immediately went and he said hello and he said i'm sorry do i have a class with you because i don't have it on my calendar and the person said no i didn't come for a class i just came to see you and i'm leaving now because i'm i'm happy i just wanted to see you that's all it was a very moving uh, experience because that was it that was the exchange and there was no further expectation on the part of the student from the teacher it was simply a very very genuine intention of wanting to see her teacher and then just leave that's what she said i came walking this side i popped in to see if you were around i wanted to say hello and i wanted to see you i'm feeling good now so that is the power of relationship but if we can inspire that kind of a faith that kind of a trust and where is it coming it's coming not because of a dependence on the teacher this is again something we have to be very clear because sir would always say yoga is a process of empowerment self empowerment it's not creating a false dependence on the teacher it is the that response is because of regard of uh, reverence for what has been received but the healing happens under the student's own self empowerment the teacher is only an enabler holding space 
for these transformations to happen but we have realized if vigyanamaya level changes start taking place then the kind of compliance and changes overall that happen are remarkable they become long term practitioners unless that that need to practice filters into the vigyanamaya otherwise they'll be there two classes three classes and then we we want hear from the student until some other problem crops up so that's why the vigyanamaya becomes a very important target point it's so interesting because as we teachers yoga therapists through our own practice and through our own connection with our teachers and and our studies we i think naturally have more sweetness more sukha more kind of maitri karuna friendliness and and that's what i really you know since the early 2000s when i started coming to the kym that's what kept me coming back was that sweetness that kindness that the personalities of the the people that i want to study with right and yes. and then through that hopefully i can start to pass that on to the people who study with me yes. yeah and it's interesting to me that 20 years later that's what has kept me with kym i i don't go take classes from all different traditions because that's what really matters to me is that True. all of you are satvic not you know i'm not saying 100% of the time you know but no in- we all have our moments see that is natural we are all human and i think sir was also human in his own way i mean i'm not i'm not putting him on a god pedestal or anything but there was much to learn he was a he was a remarkable teacher remarkable source of inspiration yes we all have our moments we have our idiosyncrasies but we work through that yeah and i think that is also something that's very special that holds the teachers of the kyn together because mm-hmm. we are connected by our link to sir over and above everything it is that that he impacted the lives of many people not in the same way he had a very unique relationship which is again a purely vigyanamaya anandamaya connection he did not have to relate to two different people the same way yeah. different points of conversation for some he would talk with others he would just come so often i mean these are very beautiful memories as you are teaching he'll come inside he'll open the door he'll have this sugar candy in his pocket he'll say ha nritya nama and he'll give you one candy and then he'll say okay ma and he'll walk out but that that was those, those small moments that's all he didn't have to have a long conversation or anything but when there was a need he would always respond and i think these are the things that we have integrated if we have not integrated then it's a shame but i think this is what holds us together because this is the legacy left behind by sir in terms mm-hmm. of his work that creating that relationship creating connection i think was the heart of his yoga and that is truly the heart of the kevan yes i completely agree and i think another pillar that's very unique is you know when you look at the pranamaya layer and the use of pranayama through chanting while doing asana i mean to me he and the kym basically have taken pranayama out of lotus position you know with murgi mudra and they have brought it into something that's much more accessible in terms of you know I was working with my teacher tonight right before this gita was teaching me a lesson and she had me doing all of these you know ratios during my asana practice so uh, a four count inhale every time i 
extended my body and a six count exhale every time I compressed my abdomen. So can you talk just for a few minutes about the importance of, of pranayama and how Sir weaved it in so many different ways to get the prana to flow in the body, mm-hmm. which of course creates healing. Yes. See, the one thing that I think we all agree when you are within the Krishnamacharya tradition is that there is no asana without breath work. Whether we call it pranayama or not is secondary. See, because when you're, if you're being very, very conventional, then pranayama is not this. Pranayama is at the highest level, kevala kumbhaka. The total, complete cessation of the pranavrittis, where the prana is suspended within uh, that is the highest level. But now by convention, we see that any breathing technique is known as pranayama. Nevertheless, a number of important thrust areas where this awareness of and regulation of breath has been woven into the work. The first is the link between breath and movement. This is, I think, one of the first things that is drilled into us as trainees, as trainee teachers and therapists, is that there is no question of movement without breath that it is always breaths that support. So you start the breath, start the movement. Finish the movement, finish the breath. The movement has to be cushioned within the breath, literally, to avoid injury at the same time to bring attention. Your mind has to be present and the breath becomes the vehicle of this. Then, of course, the various other principles uh, with regard to what movement do you inhale? Expansive movements you inhale. Contractive movements, you exhale. In twisting, you exhale. In untwisting, you inhale. These are again fundamental principles. The pause, inhale, pause, exhale, pause. Deliberate pause to bring again attention. So you see at an asana level, all of these are over ujjayi breathing. Of course, in therapy, depending on the capacity of the student, we may not insist on everything immediately. We will lead them to it. But for a teacher trainee or a therapist trainee, then this becomes mandated. You have to do this. Now, already you see that within asana, one layer is added. Then there is immense scope when you look at the multiple ways in which breath can be used. Simply using kala, the idea of uh, ratios, you can have equal exhale. You can have free inhale, free exhale. You can have uh, equal inhale, equal exhale. You can lengthen exhale. You can lengthen only inhale. You can lengthen both. Then you can introduce a hold component. Once with that hold component, then you have an entire array of ratios. You have the samavritti ratios. You have any number of uh, vishamavritti ratios. So many different ways of altering the experience of the same practice itself. And this is an experiment I've very often tried when I teach application of yoga is to give one practice, just one asana practice. I won't change the practice. It could be any basic practice. It could be a Tadasana, Pashotanasana, Virabhadrasana, Uttanasana, maybe a Vajrasana, Chakravakasana sequence. Four, five postures, rest. Do it with different types of breathing. Different. Keep changing the ratio. Sometimes give it a uh, you know an inhale-focused ratio. Sometimes exhale-focused. Sometimes focus only on the hold. When you keep changing it, observe the experience that you have without changing the movement. And there is so much learning in that. And in my experience, again, I must uh, say that like you, I don't think many of us in the cave, and once we've reached our destination, we haven't had a need to go anywhere else. 
and so our um, area of work has continued to remain only the kvm and around kvm's work as work as teaching but nevertheless that sheer vastness of possibility that breadth unfolds i have not seen it in any other tradition in my travels that yes we use it but not to the scope and depths that sir has managed to create or weave practices thirdly is the use of chanting very very subtle way of bringing in the prana component especially to beginners in therapy because we understand see now there is a lot of support from western medical science which proves the idea of the polyvagal theory the importance of stimulation of the vagus nerve all of this is now understood why the vagus nerve plays such an important role in the parasympathetic nervous activity why rest and digest is important for the body to heal all of this is known validated lot of data now in the times that sir is also working krishnamacharya sir evolving their approaches i honestly don't know if they had a term for these things in terms of medical science but you have a yoga sutra reference prachardana vidharanabhyam va pranasya where you focus on the exhale and the hold after the exhale that can become a pathway towards pacification of the mind now with that as the agama you see how beautifully chanting is brought into the scope of practice very simply because if someone you're trying to teach someone to breathe now the average person may not be very aware of breath dynamics what's happening in the chest what happens in the stomach what's happening to my diaphragm is not common knowledge and most people might also be very rattled if you give them too much information so in in general i think we all lose that ability to pay attention to our breath because it's something you take for granted unless you are suffering with breathlessness you're not going to pay attention to the breath so when you get someone to breathe you say okay now observe your breath and you inhale and you exhale you notice okay maybe the exhale is four counts or three counts using a simple chant inhale ma so you chant and as you chant you breathe out you will find a lengthening of at least two times to three times in just the exhale function when you use a simple open sound it doesn't have to be anything complex but when that exhale function is triggered over a period of time you can also work on inhalation and then through this on the hold and so that again becomes a very very effective way of lengthening breath without even knowing it and we find that it has a very calming effect in terms of the care seeker because you tell them okay inhale you have to do this exhale you have to do this expand your chest contract your abdomen sometimes too many instructions and they get very puzzled and they get confused may not understand what has to be done rather you say okay raise your arms and then as you lower it you just say ma so one instruction at a time through the chant you've already introduced how breath works they may not realize it slowly you can lead them into it. so that's another way in which pranayama has been brought into asana and then of course into other practices now it doesn't it goes without saying therefore that pranayama becomes a fundamental component even in bhavana and dhyana based practices so a lot can be done when we just start connecting to the idea of breath breath as a vehicle of prana and therefore how 
using breath can alter many things we have this is again although we know it there was a reiteration of this learning i think in the last two years as we've been working more and more with post covid long haul covid symptoms we are finding the uh, role of prana very very significantly specifically in dealing with fatigue in dealing with mental fogging that happens post covid we are having very good results with uh, different types of pranayama helping people clear up their heads come back to a normal functioning you know gain a little better control over their breath uh, overall better improvement in health lifestyle quality of life we see happening through the work with prana and breath because in most covid conditions movement is very very limited because of the fatigue and so this is again a reiteration of a learning i think that we already knew but the situation brought it more to the forefront these are some of the ways i think i've covered most of the areas yes nritya i know that we we have so many more things we could talk about but it has been a, a full hour already and could you tell us a little bit about the bird class i think you're teaching another another <laughs> section of it yes yeah we are doing another uh, series of uh, the bird model it's called pakshi kalpana it's running currently mm. um uh, we've done i think uh, four five sessions the preliminary sessions are over it's planned to be a 10 15 hour program but in case someone is interested you are welcome to sign up because the videos will be made accessible with a little bit of a gap you will receive access to content and the videos so the that is an option that is open people are welcome to join at any point and how would they go about would they email the kym yes you email the kym you can write to a uh, registration at kym.org or webinar at kym.org and if you are interested we will take it further from the back end i will pass on the information if someone's interested you're welcome to join at any point and then catch up with the videos as and when we start sending them to you perfect and anytime we would like to look at the variety of classes that are offered we can go to kym.org and yes. all of them are listed and yes I, we have I, all our I, I think you see me maybe three or four mornings a week so i just <laughs> i am so it's always happy. a pleasure i am so happy that it's being offered online it's it's really remarkable life life changing so life changes and i think for us from the kyan perspective this has been the only way we can stay connected given that none of our students are able to visit we are still not open for group classes it's been 2 years almost mm. that we've uh, we've not been having group classes we recently in the last year we've had one on one therapy because we find again that people are more more ready they want to come especially for therapy even though you might feel you know people are afraid and you know afraid of exposure the interest is uh, we find more and more people wanting to walk in come to the kyn for a personal class but unfortunately we are not able to do that with our uh, groups especially international groups and so the webinar mode becomes the only viable currently available mode where we are able to reach out connect and keep things going and so i think now we are in an age of a new atha i think we are going to have mm. to adapt to this and make hybrid courses possible in fact that's what we've been doing our latest teacher training is hybrid so it's like 6 uh, months online and then a 10 day intensive at the ky so we're trying to you know come up with different ways where we still 
maintain that personal connection without making everything you know just delivered online which is also why to the extent possible we try to give you live classes so that at least there is a feeling that you are listening to the teacher live because i know there are some institutes that offer asynchronous learning with pre-recorded videos which mm-hmm. we can do i mean if there is a need we are welcome to we are we are ready to share videos but at least give that feeling of a connect through the a live webinar so i think going ahead we are looking at this uh, hybrid mix of both online offline wherever possible and also one on one we offer a lot of one on one options in any subject both online. online and in person both offline and online depending on what uh, the person wants to study it could be theory it could be philosophy it could be yoga literature it could be practice whatever it is we are offering all of this one on one as well Well, thank you so much. And as I told you when we were beginning, I'll probably see you in about 10 hours or so for my morning class. <laughs> I'm going to bed. But all right, all right. Good night. It's always yeah. a pleasure, Annie. All right. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thank, thank you and good night. Thank you for listening to this episode with Narithya from the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandiram. And... You know, one thing I wanted to say before we end today is that you can find all of the current classes being offered online at the KYM website, which is www.kym.org. And you can also contribute to their Mitra outreach, community outreach. We at Optimal State Yoga Therapy School, we feel strongly that we need to give back and support the KYM Mitra. So you could look in the show notes and donate through the link that we offer. And then we transfer that money to them, which sometimes will save you the bank transfer fee. If I send over a hundred percent of the proceeds through, you know, one bank transfer, we just have to pay it once instead of every person having to figure out a bank transfer. And many of you may not realize this, but just in the last couple of months, India has become very specific about how international funds are being given, especially through charity into the country. So where it used to be quite easy to transfer money, it's suddenly got gotten a little difficult. So that's one of the reasons that if you'd like to donate through the link in the show notes to KYM Mitra, we'll be happy to do the rest. But if you want to go directly to KYM, you can see here, they do accept donations for working with all sorts of people in the community, children with Down syndrome, orphanages, the program that I was so fortunate to get to go and, and see and kind of observe was a program of women in prison. And they were doing wonderful things with the women who were going to be in prison for life. So I just want to really encourage everyone to, to think about giving back to India, to a, a tradition that's been around for a long, long time. And there's other ones too. There's, there's many wonderful traditions that I know of in South India, but this just happens to be the one that 
has really touched my heart and I felt connected to for so many years. So thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you next week. We're going to talk about the teacher-student relationship with my teacher, Gita Shankar, who has studied with Mr. Deskachar for many, many decades. So she'll have a bunch of great stories for us about Sir. All right. Have a great week. Hey, did you know that each week on the podcast, we give you a free infographic that you can use with your clients, your students, or for your own personal studies. So check out the show notes. There's a link on where you can sign up. And not only will we send you the infographic from this week, but if there's a topic that's similar in the future, we'll also put you on that list and we'll never sell your data or send you things that you haven't asked for. Thank you for listening to our show today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share the episode with a friend or colleague. We're so grateful you're willing to share. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria and Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.